Welcome to our Painesville Assembly of God podcast. Our desire is to connect people to a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. If this message touches your heart, we'd love to hear about it. Email us at info at or visit PainesvilleAG.com. We pray that this message will be an encouragement to your faith. Amen. Well, good morning to you again. Again, Pastor Aaron is taking a, a much-deserved break to enjoy his birthday and some, spend some time uh, listening to Caleb do worship. And so, well, again, when you see him, make sure you wish him a, a happy birthday. So I'm going to go ahead and conclude the message that, of the series he had been going on about Jesus at your table. And we're going to speak about the mission through meals today. So writer and blogger Peter White wrote, quote, how is it that so many of my own profound experiences with God happen when food is around? Is it just a coincidence? I don't think so. There is something deep, profound, and mysterious about the role food has in the story of God. When I was in my 20s and I was shipwrecked in my faith, it was at weekly meals with a caring family where I experienced firsthand the hospitality of God. Community dinners that I've experienced both in the context of the church small group and in my neighborhood have been some of the most significant spiritual experiences of my life. In fact, we might say as we pay close attention to God's story in the Bible, wherever God is, there is a snack, a meal, or an overabundant feast. At every major plot point of the story, there you find God and food. Isn't that remarkable? So last week, Pastor Aaron concluded the message talking about those people coming to the feast, you know, and, and some of the more uppity people, they didn't want to show, you know, they, they had excuses. So, so he concluded it by this passage from Luke 14, 21 to 23. It said, so the servant came and reported these things to his master Then the master of the house became angry and said to his servant, Go out quickly into the streets and lanes of the city and bring in the poor and crippled and blind and lame. And the master said to the servant, Go out to the highways and hedges and compel people to come in that my house may be filled. So this is the era, this is the time that we are in right now. We are the ones he has commanded to go out to the highways and the hedges to compel people to come in. Because how many know that the Lord wants his house to be full? We're going to talk about this mission, about getting people to this grand buffet. And and how do we get them to this buffet? How do we get them to this place where they are in heaven? Their salvation has been realized. They are walking the streets of gold. They are walking with the Lord. How do we get them there? We share the truth of the gospel, absolutely. But we do more than that. We mingle with people. We connect with people. We invite them to the table. In his book, A Meal with Jesus, author Tim Chester wrote, Jesus didn't run projects, establish ministries, create programs, or put on events. He ate meals. If you routinely share meals, you have a passion for Jesus, then you will be doing mission. 
People are saved through the gospel message, but meals will create the natural opportunities to share that message in a context that resonates powerfully with you and what you're saying. Hospitality has always been the integral part of the story of God's people. It's fascinating that out of everything that, that the Lord could do, what is he was walking here on this earth, one of the biggest things he, he left us with is how he connected with people. And if the creator of the universe who becomes flesh incarnate walks out this life with us and he has set this example for us, then should we not do the same? One great example, and this is going to be where the, the crux of our message is today, in Luke 19. So if you've got a copy of God's Word or our app or whatever, Luke 19. We're going to be hanging out in verses 1 to 10, and we're going to be referring back to that as we go. Luke 19, 1 to 10. It says, Jesus entered and passed through Jericho. A man was there named Zacchaeus, who was a chief, chief tax collector. He wasn't just a tax collector, he was a chief one. Whatever that's saying, right? And he was rich. He tried to see who Jesus was, but was not able from the crowd, because he was little in stature. So he ran ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was to pass that way. When Jesus came into the vicinity, he looked up and saw him and said, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for today I must remain at your house. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. When they, this is the, the Pharisees, the religious elite, when they saw it, they all murmured, saying, He has gone to the, be a guest of a man who is a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Lord, look, I give half of my possessions to the poor, and if I've taken anything from anyone by false accusation, I will repay him four times as much. Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house because he was also a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man has, came to seek, has come to seek and save that which was lost. So Jesus is saying, I'm coming to your house to bring salvation. How am I going to do it? I'm going to go to your house, we're going to have hospitality, we're going to have a meal. That's his model. It's that simple. So today we're going to talk about Jesus at your table in the area of community. And first I, first I want to talk about the faith community. That's us who are believers. I have a question. How open is your table to others? Whether it's inviting somebody over for a meal, hosting a life group, taking someone for a bite to eat, is this a practice in your life? And if not, you're missing out. If Jesus came to your house this afternoon, would he be invited in? Would he be invited in even if you had some things that you were going to do. You would make time, right? It's Jesus. <laughs> you know, you're going to do it, right? Well, Matthew 25, some verses in here, I'm going to bounce around, says this. For I was hungry and you fed me. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger 
and you invited me into your home. Then these righteous ones will reply, Lord, when did we ever see you hungry or feed you? Hey, if you would have come to our house, we would have fed you. When did we ever see you thirsty or give you something to drink or a stranger and show you hospitality? And then the king will say, I tell you the truth, when you did it to the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you were doing it to me. So now I ask you again, if Jesus came to your house, would you invite him in? That's a little bit of a different perspective, isn't it? Because the way that Jesus looks at it is when we show our love to one another, we are doing it to him. So yes, we would say yes to Jesus, but if someone here came knocking, can we get together? Would you make it happen? Now, I know we have jobs and we have responsibilities, but are we open to it? And would we really do it in reality? So yeah, we have the faith community, but now let's talk about the lost. You know, Jesus came to Zacchaeus' house. He was a chief tax collector. That means that not only did he swindle people, he was really, really good at it. And he was so hated that he was the poster child of who to stay away from. And yet Jesus says, I need to go to your house. An evil tax collector. In Luke 5, 29 to 32, it says this. Then Levi held a great banquet for Jesus at his house, and a large crowd of tax collectors and others were eating with him. But the Pharisees and the preachers of the law, who belonged to their sect, complained to his disciples, Why do you eat? As a, and drink with tax collectors and sinners. And Jesus answered him, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. For I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Jesus practiced this. He not only ate with people who are of the faith, but he also ate with people who were not. And we're going to see later on that this is the model of the first century church. That was the very model they practiced. And God blessed and multiplied the church like crazy. Because they were practicing this. Whether with believers or unbelievers, the table is a great way to do the work of God. Like our life groups, for example, they were modeled after the early church. They took this idea of the table that Jesus taught and lived and applied it to how they conducted themselves. And we see it. Acts 2 42 to 47. Notice how this, as we read this, how this affects both the believers and the unbelievers. It says, They continued steadfastly in the apostles' teaching and fellowship, in the breaking of bread and in prayers. Fear came upon every soul, and many signs and wonders and signs were done through the apostles. All who believed were together and had all things in common. They sold their property and goods and distributed them according to their need. And continuing daily with one mind in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people, and the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. Notice they met at the temple, but they also met from house to house. 
They were patterning it after Jesus. Now stop and think about this for a minute. The creator of the universe who flung the stars into existence and the universe into existence by the span of his hand, who knows every single star by name, how many hairs you have or do not have on your head, and not even a sparrow falls to the ground that he doesn't know about it. That God, that creator who's beyond our imaginations comes to earth and he chooses the most awesome thing of sitting at the table. That was the way he did it. He could have done it so many other ways. I mean, in the Old Testament, they tried a bunch of different things. Clouds and pillars of fire and, and parting of seas and all these crazy, awesome miracles that God did. But we still see this pattern even then of the table. What did David say? Psalm 23. He prepares a table. In the presence of my enemies, my cup flows over. It runs over. This has always been the main way that God delivers the gospel when it comes to sharing our faith with others. It's not the only way, but it's definitely one of the main ways. This movement we call the birth and growth of the church continued the pattern that Jesus taught them. But sadly, many churches in America, and dare I say all over the world, but especially in Western society, have lost the second part of going house to house. We come here on Sunday, and then that's it. And life groups are good, but there's more to, to this idea of the table than just life groups. It's, you know, Jesus specifically said, Zacchaeus, I'm coming into your house. Do we see people who have a need, whether it's a believer or someone who is not, and say, I want to get together with you and have a meal? Do we do it? Sadly, many churches in America have lost the second part. I love the Reformation movement of 500 years ago and how God used it to bring back the word of God uh, to the people, bring the word of God back to the people. There was a great move, right, during the Reformation. You know, Gutenberg and the printing press and people started getting the scriptures in their language. You have, you have Luther reading, had the just to live by faith. You, you have, you know, Huss, you have Calvin, you have Arminius, you have all of these church fathers of the Reformation that did great things. They weren't perfect people, but they did great things in their day. But we've patterned our lives and how we do church by the way they did it. Not always necessarily the way Jesus did it or the early church did it. More and more people who we reach out to are not going to want to attend a traditional service, at least not initially. This is birth, not only a revival of small groups, such as we're doing here, we have 10 life groups going on. That's incredible. It's because God is beginning to move these things in our heart. But not only that, but there's also a thing called a dinner church, which is coming up. Um, the uh, Assemblies of God had a, a missionary, can't remember his name off the top of my head, uh, he did a, a seminar for all the area pastors to talk about ways that we can, can breach this separation here where you have people going to a church building and people on the streets. And this whole idea of a dinner church is starting to really take on because people will go there when they might not necessarily come here, at least not initially. 
I, I see that every Friday night when I go to Project Hope. The people there, many of them been burnt. They, they're, they're not going to want. If I invite them to church, they don't come. But yet they'll be there every Friday and they want to hear the word of God. And so we have to find ways to meet them in that area. So are we open to allow God to use us in this area of hospitality and a meal, bringing them to the table. In that seminar, there was a, uh, that was put on, the, the uh, brochure was put on by the Dinner Church Collective. It said this, and this was shocking to me. Most Christian leaders are so steeped in Reformation mindsets that it will take a significant and sustained effort to unlearn the structures of the past 500 years. Paul Alexander says that we are so much the sons and daughters of the reformers that we know not how to be sons and daughters of the apostles. Wow. Isn't that deep? Think about that. We have our structures and things like that. And again, I'm not against structure. Don't hear what I'm not saying, as Pastor Aaron likes to say. Um, I'm not saying, because they did meet at the temple, but there was also this other aspect. It wasn't just limited to this right here. There was a fellowship, and in that fellowship, there is strength, and in that strength, that helps people to make a stand who are struggling. If, if you're a believer and you're not involved with other believers, that's, that puts you in a precarious place because Satan loves to pick you off by yourself. And I've heard people say, I don't need to come to church. I know the Bible. I've gone through two Bible colleges, and I still barely know it. It's the word of God. It's not, it's not like that. God's word is so deep, and we'll always be learning from it. But even if that was true, this whole idea of, of the church, meaning the people of God, the body of Christ, is so much more than learning Bible scriptures. It's a way that we worship together, like we said in Psalm 133, that, that, that blessing that comes from the unity. We get that because we come together. There's also the, the different ways that we bless ourselves, as, uh, our, each other, when it comes to helping each other with needs. You know, it talks about in 1 Corinthians 12-14 that there's one body in many parts. And we need each other. We're not supposed to do this by ourselves. I need you. I can't do this on my own. We need to band together and serve one another and love one another and connect with one another, spend time with one another. And we also need to do it for the lost. That's what the early church did, and the number of those being saved was added daily. This is the pattern. We don't need anything fancier, fancy, excuse me. We just need to go and love people and bring them to the table. That's where it happens. That's what happened to Zacchaeus, the chief tax collector, the big wig on sin. But that's not all that happens at the table. The second thing with Jesus at your table is revelation. Listen to this. Let's go back to Luke 19, 
verse 8, the first part. It's, listen to this. But Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, look, Lord, I give all my possessions to the poor. Did you hear what he called Jesus? Lord. Not rabbi. Not teacher. When he was with God, break, with Jesus, who is God in the flesh, breaking bread, his eyes were open, and he called him in the Greek, Kyrios, Lord. Revelation happens at the table. I can't tell you the number of times, for example, in my small group, with our life group, that I'm sitting there and we're sharing with one another, and it's amazing the, the way God gives different insights and and I grow from that, and I understand the scriptures better. I understand who, who God is and how he loves me. These things happen because we're in fellowship together. We need each other. God wants to move. He, he wants to reveal himself to you in a better way. And that happens when we are in fellowship one with another. If you're sitting at home saying, God, speak to me. But you're not involved, if you're not going to the table, you're not having fellowship with one another, then you're not going to get it many times. And how can the lost come to faith? Listen, I have done my share of street evangelism. That's my primary calling. My vocation is as a pastor, but my calling is as an evangelist. I have no greater joy when I'm out there amongst those who are lost sharing Jesus. That just fires me up. But I'll tell you one thing. If I just hand them a track and try to tell them Jesus loves them, it very rarely works. But if I sit down with somebody and have a meal with them, the doors open. Because you care. And again, I see that every Friday night. These folks that come to the shelter, they wouldn't give me at a time of day out on the streets. But because God brings them together, we have like 30 plus people that are there on average that come to, and, and they come to this, this program we call TLC, Transformation Lake County, where we share uh, the gospel with them. And they are so hungry for it. And they open up. And so many want to stay after the initial five minutes for the whole thing like sponges. They are so hungry for it. And you can ask some of us who are on, are on the team that go there. It is incredible the way that God opens their eyes. And you see the light coming on. And the tears falling. And the change happens. But it didn't happen because I saw him on the street. It happened because we were sitting at the table. And again, it's not the only way, but it is the way that Jesus modeled. So if God, who created the universe, uses this as his model, I, I think I have it on good authority saying it probably will work pretty good for us too. So revelation happens at the table. I'll give you one other quick example for it, for the sake of time. Remember the road to Emmaus? These two guys are bummed out. This whole Jesus thing didn't work out. You can read it in Luke 24, 13 to 35. For the sake of time, I won't go through it all. And they're, they're bummed. Then Jesus comes and they don't recognize him. And he begins to share scriptures with them. And something in them burned, but they still didn't get it. It wasn't until verse 30 that 
we see something happen. In verse 30, it says, when he was at the table with them, because see, he, they begged him, please stay, please stay, please stay. So he said, I'll stay. So when he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened and they recognized him. Revelation happens at the table. He was quoting scriptures about himself. And they were like, that's exciting. But when he broke bread, all of a sudden it was like, you're him. Revelation happens at the table. Spending time with other believers, feasting on the word as well as a meal is a great time for God to move and to open up his word to you in new and powerful ways. So if you're hungry and you haven't had been fed spiritually in a long time of God's revealing stuff to you. I, I, I remember when I first got saved, before I was a Christian, before God saved me, if I picked up the Bible, it was the most boring, stupidest book in the world. But when I got saved, and I got saved because the Lord opened my eyes, I felt his peace, his forgiveness wash over me, and I began to open up the word, and suddenly the word, which was dead and lifeless, was now alive, and it was fire, and I couldn't get enough of it. I was hungry. That's what happens. Don't you still long for that? I don't care if you've been saved 50 years. God wants to continue to do that. We don't want to lose the joy of our salvation. I want more. I don't know about you. I want more of Jesus, not less. When we encounter Jesus, it should radically change us. That's our third thing, changed. Not only, not only are we getting revelation of who the Lord is, but it changes us. When you're at the table, there's change. If you're struggling with secret sin, anxiety, peer pressure, substance abuse, or life has just got you down, that can change at the table. What a lot of us like to self-isolate when we're struggling. And that's the wrong move. It allows those problems to compound. But I'll tell you what. I'll, I'll give, just give an example. Before first service today, I was back there with the, the praise team. And, uh, and this blew me away. But they all came around, laid their hands and prayed for me. And I felt such a peace. It was awesome. It just totally, I just felt his peace wash over me. And I went from being like, Lord, how am I going to do this with the bum leg and back and neck issues for two services? I went from that to, I can do this. There is change that happens at the table. If we are walking together as brothers and sisters, it will change us. Jesus came to breathe life into you and to take you on an adventure that has eternal purpose. Yes, there's a lot of trials and tribulations, but he said, be of good cheer, for I have overcome the world. So yes, it doesn't mean we're not going to have hardship, but it's so much nicer knowing because you've been at the table with Jesus so that you can be like David, like you said in Psalm 23, who was even in the presence of his enemies able to say, my cup runs over. 
the enemies were still there. What changed? He was at the table. The table of the Lord. And we as believers having Christ in us, the Holy Spirit in us, when we're together, we're seated. Jesus said, where two or more are gathered in my name, I am there in the midst. As we get ready to wrap this up soon, I just want to uh, share what Paul was going through. You know, Paul wrote what are called his prison epistles. Four of the books of the Bible. Epistle just means letter or book. And he wrote four of these while he was in prison. And guess what he said while he was in prison? Woe is me. No, I would. I'm just going to be honest. No, he said in Philippians 4, 4, rejoice in the Lord always, and again I will say rejoice. What? How can you be in a dungeon where your life is on the line and be able to say, I'm rejoicing in the Lord? Yes, he had an encounter with God, but he was going through a lot. In 2 Corinthians 7, 5, it says, for when we came to Macedonia, our bodies had no rest. We were troubled on every side. Outside were conflicts. On the inside were fears. So Paul is being going through the ringer with all these problems, uh, fearful that at any moment somebody could take his life and cut him to pieces. And then he gets thrown in prison, and yet he's saying, rejoice in the Lord always. So what was the secret? Yeah, it was his faith in God. That was one. But I'll give you another, and it's peppered throughout the Bible. But for the sake of time, I'm just going to focus on one. In 2 Timothy 1.16, Paul says this. May the Lord show mercy to the household of Onesiphorus, because he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. The table. As he was going through that, people were coming by, bringing him food and stuff and encouraging him. They were bringing the table to him. And because of that, he was able to say, it looks bad, but I am loved. I am part of the body. I am not alone. And I can rejoice in the Lord, even in the midst of prison. And it's no different from Elijah. Here's Elijah calling down fire. He was on a spiritual high. And then old Jezebel said she's going to take him out. Now his problem was he was alone. He thought he was the only one. But God told him, oh, no, no. There are several thousand also who have not bowed their knee to Baal. But he didn't know that because in his mind he was isolationist. It's just me, God. And I'm a dead man. So how did God handle Since he was not with the other several thousand at the table, God brings the table to him. 1 Kings 17, 2-6 says this, Then the word of the Lord came to Elijah, Leave here, turn eastward, and hide in the Kareth Ravine, east of the Jordan. You will drink from the brook, and I have directed ravens to supply you with food there. There's a table in the desert. So he did what the Lord had told him. He went to Kareth Ravine, east of the Jordan, and stayed there. And the ravens brought him food and meat in the morning and bread and meat in the evening, and he drank from the brook. So even in the Old Testament, God was all about the table. There is 
change that happens in the table because after that time at the table in the wilderness and communing with God, he was restored again from his fears and his sense of failure. And when you are getting together with other brothers and sisters in the faith, you will be uplifted as well and have that resurgence of courage and strength as the Holy Spirit speaks to one another through each other. We're, we're in this thing together. That's our theme this year, together. You are my family. I get to enjoy being with you for eternity. Here, some of you are like, oh boy. <laughs> Lord, touch him. But we need to stop thinking of each other as just people we go to church with. We need to start thinking of each other as brothers and sisters. Family. You're not alone. You are not alone. And if the devil tries to lie and say, you've gone too far, you need to separate, you need to walk away, you need to try to figure this out on your own, Recognize it, it is not from God. It's a lie. Now, I know there's some knuckleheads in the church. I've been a knucklehead from time to time in my life. And I'm not saying everyone in the church is going to understand everything you're going through all the time. But that's also how we learn. We sharpen one another. Even, even our bumps and bruises dealing with each other is part of how we grow. God doesn't waste anything. He promises us in Romans 8, 28 to work some things together for the good, all things together for the good. So even if we sometimes misread each other and give each other the evil eye or something like that, listen, God will convict us of that <laughs> and he will bring us on the right path where we need to be because he is all about this idea of walking together in community at the table. Amen? Amen. So worship team, you can come up. So if you're hungry for change, perhaps you feel dead inside like Elijah, but wish you had that hunger, there's room at the table. If you think that you've gone too far, that maybe God doesn't love you or doesn't love you that much, I want you to know there's room at the table. And you will experience that love when you're together with fellow brothers and sisters. In his biography, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, uh, that uh, Eric Metaxas did, he's quoting one of the men that Bonhoeffer was discipling, wrote this. Whatever he had and whatever he was, meaning Dietrich, he made that accessible to others. The great treasure he possessed was the cultivated, elegant, highly educated, open-minded home of his parents to which he introduced us. The open evenings, where we were, which were open for disciples and, and family to come, eat, play music, sing together, discuss and laugh and tell stories on Friday nights, which took place every week, had such an atmosphere that they became a piece of home for us well, as well. He opened up his, his home. You know, he was at the time staying at his parents, and they obviously were complicit in this. 
And so they open up their home for people to come. Not unlike we heard when Pastor was talking about the meal and all the people came up and remember the woman who came in there with the alabaster ointment because she was able to walk in there. So you had believers and unbelievers, people being discipled. That's what Dietrich Bonhoeffer did at his home that he was staying with his parents. And it's left such an indelible mark on so many people's lives because people were getting saved and discipled right from the home while they were having a good time breaking bread and hanging out together. The hospitality and the table which they took part in left an enduring mark on those who partook of the generous open home of the Bonhoeffers in so much of a way that their lives were forever changed. And this example still inspires others to do the same today. So as I conclude, we first talked about community. We should share the table together as as believers and second, with unbelievers. As the Lord, obviously, we have to be wise, right? Right? I lived in New York. There's some places you got to be careful where you went. I, I'm just going to say it. So I went, I, when, I was, when I was staying in Mantown, Manhattan, I had to take a brother to his house, and he was living in the projects in the Bronx. And let's just say I was the only one of my complexion around. And, and I said, am I in trouble here? He said, no. He says, if you come here, you're going to think you're a cop or you're crazy. <laughs> but the point of the matter is, is, is God will use us wherever we are. And it was. Everybody was so nice and so kind. And I didn't even want to leave. But God is in the business of setting the table. And there are people who are hungry who don't know the Lord that we can bring to the table. And if God can preserve my sorry life there on the streets of New York, I think he can handle us here in Painesville and surrounding areas. Amen? And then lastly, well, then we're revelation, and then then we're changed. God reveals himself to us, and then we're changed. So perhaps you say, Pastor Kevin, I've not gone to the table because you don't know Jesus. Or you walked away from him. I did. I backslid for several years. Until I finally came at the end of myself. I was involved in witchcraft and alcohol and wicked, wicked stuff that I don't even want to talk about. But God brought me back. I'm here because he was faithful. So if you have wandered away from God... You can come home now. He is there waiting for you at the table. And for those of us who are hungry for change, to get that first love back in our lives, that, that sense of wonder and awe at the revelation of God and the change that happens because of how God moves in our lives, I challenge each and every one of you to find a way to reach out to one another, to love one another. Look to your left and your right. These are your family. Support each other. Pray for each other. Hang out with each other. Do life together. And you will grow from this. 
And lastly, do we want to see an awakening in our communities, our nation? Well, it starts with each one of us being serious about having a prepared table to reach out to others, just like the first century church did. So are you open to bring change to our community? Do you want to see revival spark? Do you want to see our neighborhoods and cities and communities changed? Prepare a table. Let's pray. Hallelujah. Jesus, Lord, we love you so much. We are so glad that you prepare a table for us, that we can walk with you, that we can fellowship with you in the presence of our brothers and sisters, Lord. Lord, we thank you that you, you design community. You designed the church to be a body that works and functions together. And that we are stronger when we are together. That was your prayer that you wrote about in John, that we would be one even as you, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, are one. That we would be one in you. Lord, help us, Lord, to walk in that unity, to love one another, to pray for one another, to encourage one another, even to correct one another when we need it. Because we can all be knuckleheads sometimes. But Lord, we want to grow. So help us, Lord, to walk in that unity. And help us, Lord God, to also be a light to the lost. To prepare a table. To invite them to the table. Even if that means taking them to a restaurant. Or walking into the store to buy them some food. Help us, Lord God, to wisely steward the resources that you've given us to provide for the furtherance of your gospel. So Lord, so what do we do with this message, Lord? Lord, we ask that you would move in our hearts, in our lives. If there's anybody here who is not saved and wants to be, or perhaps you're backslidden and you want to come back, if that's you, just everybody's head, heads bowed and eyes closed, if that's you, just raise up your hand. Thank you, thank you. God bless you. Is there any more? Thank you, Lord, for those who raised their hands and maybe some who wanted to but maybe were a little afraid to, Lord. Lord, we, we come to you and we ask you, Lord, to save us, to cleanse us, to restore us, Lord God. Lord, I just pray for those who rose their hands, Lord God, that you would touch them, that your spirit would be in them. And all you have to do is say, Jesus, Save me. It's that simple. We don't have to have a big theological thing. All you need to do is say, God, I surrender. I give my life to you. Come into my life and forgive me. And he is faithful and just to forgive us of all of our sins and cleanse us from all of our iniquities, all the things we've done wrong. He wipes the slate clean like it never happened because he purchased our forgiveness with his blood on the cross. And Lord, for the rest of us, Lord, I just pray, Lord God, touch us, Lord God. Give us a heart for missions. Not just missions overseas, which we love to champion, and rightly so. But, Lord, missions in our own backyards. And if there's anyone here that says, I want change. I want that love that I first had for Jesus. Or, I'm hungry and I want to hear from the Lord, and it's been a long time since I really hear, heard from the Lord. If that's you, I pray you raise your hands. 
Yes, thank you. Thank you. Hands all over. Lord God, we see, you see these hands, Lord. Lord, I just pray right now by your spirit, you would bring healing and restoration to my brothers and sisters, Lord. And Lord, I just pray that you would encourage them and help them, Lord God, to find out this exciting adventure that you have for them, to restore, restore the joy of their salvation that they have in you, Lord God. And Lord, we just thank you for that. And we just bless you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So we're going to go ahead and sing now, so please stand. And if you want to come up here for prayer, um, me and some of the others will be up here to pray for you if you need healing. Uh, If you need restoration, we're here for you. And God bless you. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. We pray that you're encouraged by this message. For more information about Painesville Assembly of God, visit PainesvilleAG.com.